Welcome back to Gale Force Winds Season 2. The Gale Force Winds Podcast is proudly sponsored by Newfound Marketing, a digital marketing agency located in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfound Marketing builds cost-effective digital marketing solutions to help organizations unlock their online growth potential. Newfound Marketing's team of experts works with their clients from start to finish to deliver solutions that convert. Visit our website at newfoundmarketing.ca to find out how we can help your business grow. Newfound Marketing, a compliment to your marketing team. Well, welcome to another edition of Gale Force Winds. I'm Alan Dale, and with me as always, my good buddy from the East End of St. John's, Newfoundland, Jerry Carew. How are you, Jerry? Doing fantastic today. Uh, this is we're recording this episode, Alan, as you know, uh, the day after International Women's Day, and uh, we we certainly enjoy conversations with pretty well anyone who's doing interesting things has done interesting things, but particularly it was gratifying to be able to bring some, uh, I guess, some uh, notoriety to some of the women and uh, the video summary that we did with 34 uh, ladies was was really uh, well received. And uh, uh, Jennifer, uh, I don't know you at all, but I know a little bit from what Alan has told me. Again, feel very privileged to have you uh, on this podcast. I attained the very high rank of lieutenant in the Navy over 30 years ago since I served. So uh, anyone who ever reached the, uh, you know, I was very young when I was a lieutenant. An admiral was a very intimidating thing. So uh, it's just it's just a pleasure to have another female leader on with us, Alan. 100% Jerry, and leader is a great way to describe it. I've, I've known uh, Admiral Jennifer Bennett for my entire career, and uh, she's had a significant impact on my professional journey in the Navy, and she has impacted this country significantly, and I can't wait to get into a conversation with her today. So Admiral, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you very much, um, both to Al and Jerry. I'm I'm uh, pleased and, and humbled to be one of your guests. And as you mentioned, Jerry, the day after International Women's Day. Whenever I'm asked to do do these uh, type of presentations, I, I I always have to think, you know, why me? Why why am I deserving? But um, I, uh, I I'm happy to share uh, what started off as uh, as a summer job for me and turned into a, a lifelong passion and leadership opportunity. It's funny you mentioned, Jerry, that admirals were uh, way out of, uh, out of your, your stratosphere uh, as a lieutenant. Uh, lieutenant was one of the best ranks in the Navy, but for me, uh, admirals were all uh, old men, uh, black and white pictures on the wall. Uh, so yeah. I certainly had no aspirations of, of becoming one or even a role model to think that, that I could. So um, let me let me start at the beginning. Um, I give you a little bit of background and tell you about how I, I kind of fell into into the leadership opportunities. Um, I've had the the unique opportunity to be able to combine two concurrent careers, both of them that involve leadership and, and influence uh, as a mentor and a coach. I was a uh, I've been a teacher in my civilian career, and uh, I also made a, a choice uh, the summer that I was in in uh, grade 12, um, no intention of joining the Navy. I was born into a Naval family. My dad was involved in the Naval Reserve. Uh, in fact, when I was old enough to join the Navy, I hadn't even considered that, wasn't on my radar. And uh, an old chief called and uh, um, 
kind of in the style of the old press gangs, told me that I should uh, come down to the local Naval Reserve Unit in Hamilton, HMCS Star, and, uh, and join the summer program. At the time, the Naval Reserve had a, a summer student employment program. It was an eight-week program, sort of an introduction to the military. Now, I, I had a great job opportunity as a lifeguard. Uh, it was 1975. I was going to make a dollar an hour and get a tan. And, uh, you know, as a high school student, that uh, that's kind of the optimal job. But um, I, I thought about the opportunity that the chief laid out for me in very strong terms. It wasn't my dad who pressured me. Uh, and in fact, when I joined, my dad was the, the senior Naval Reserve advisor or the Commodore uh, of the Naval Reserve. So the summer student training program uh, sounded like an interesting opportunity. It was a little bit different than what my friends were doing. And uh, I thought, ah, what the heck, you know, eight weeks, how bad can it be? Somewhere during that eight weeks, it really struck with me that I was onto something interesting and something unique. And um, again, in comparing notes with my friends, I was doing things that none of them were doing. And um, at the end of the eight weeks, there was an opportunity to be able to continue in the Naval Reserve. Uh, there were not very many spots for women at the time out of my entire class. Uh, there were there was a selection process to to continue with the Naval Reserve, and um, I was asked if I wanted to continue. So I often refer to my my naval career as how I spent my summer vacation, uh, because it was a summer job, and uh, as a, as a reluctant summer student, uh, that turned into a lifetime career of of incredible opportunities. So uh, following that summer, I I started as a, as a communicator. Uh, things for women in the military were very different at that time. Uh, women could not go to sea. Uh, women could not serve in operational positions. Uh, very restricted. In, in fact, I tell funny stories about our, our uniforms and the fact that uh, when I joined, I, I joined as, as a Wren. Uh, so my, my ranks were different than the men. But our, our uniforms, my first uniform, uh, it was actually one of my favorites, but the uniforms for the women in the military, we were all in green at that time in the, in the 70s. They were designed by a Montreal designer who designed stewardess uniforms. So we looked very much like stewardesses with the, the bowler hats, the round bowler hats, and we had a short jacket and a, and a, a skirt. Um, and in fact, our skirt was so tapered that we couldn't march in platoons with men. Uh, we had to be in a Wren's platoon um, because of the, the shape of our of our skirt. So there we were pr proudly marching in the Wren's platoon. Uh, we had our, our issued purses and our white gloves uh, for number ones. Our ranks were also different. As I said, we, uh, we were designated differently as um, female non-commissioned members and also as officers. Uh, when I was an officer, I had a brackets W after my rank. So as a Lieutenant, I was a Lieutenant brackets N for Navy, brackets R for reserve and brackets W for woman, just in case it wasn't obvious to you. <laughs> so there were a lot of a lot of differences at that time. And um, people ask me now, you know, what why, why would I have put up with that? But society was like that. Mm -hmm. So we were very restricted. And uh, I enjoyed my time as a communicator. My my second summer, I worked at the Olympics. Uh, in 76, 
I uh, went off to uh, to Cornwallis to do my basic recruit training. I, I did a couple of summers of training at the comm school on the West Coast. And when I entered university, the opportunity to become an officer uh, was provided. And uh, because my trade was so restricted as a woman in the communications branch at the time, I could only serve in shore postings. I, I couldn't go to sea. I would be in a message center for the rest of my career. And it sounded like opportunities as an officer might be more interesting. So I, I transferred to officer training. Uh, again, I hit some walls. Uh, there were no choices for occupations for women. There were only three uh, occupations for officers open in the Navy and the Naval Reserve, and that was admin officer, logistics officer, or nurse. And uh, so the, uh, the summer that I transferred, uh, they were recruiting logistics officers. So that became my, my trade. Had, had a couple of other interesting experiences as an officer that, that are quite unique and seem strange to people who are serving now. Uh, we did um, seagoing training. Uh, we, we day sailed um, and uh, we did some of the same maritime surface training as our male counterparts, but um, we sailed in sort of harbor auxiliary vessels, but uh, we couldn't stay overnight. So uh, we would embark into our ship with the male bosun, uh, male engineer and male CO, and we'd sail from Victoria to Ladysmith. And then we would get off the ship uh, and uh, get on a bus and go back to a spy malt to stay in accommodations. The next morning, we'd take the bus back to wherever that was, and then we'd sail from Ladysmith to Maple Bay. Um, so we referred to it as the umbilical cord navy because because we could only sail as far as you could get back to Victoria by bus. Wow. Uh, we uh, uh, we were not uh, not allowed uh, overnight on the ships, as I said, and. Uh, but we were given the opportunity to experience seagoing, um, I, I guess, seagoing life uh, to the extent you could between eight and four. Uh, there were also some, some unique circumstances about our training and the opportunities for us that we were trained in sea logistics, but there were no billets for us to go to sea afterwards. So that, that was in, in the 70s, and it, it wasn't until the mid 80s that the Canadian Armed Forces started to change and open doors to women. So I, I feel privileged to have been sort of on the leading edge of changes for women and, and to have experienced that over my career. At the same time, I was uh, training at university to be a teacher. Um, I, um, I was quite fortunate that I always had a summer job with the Naval Reserve. It, uh, as soon as I finished my last exam, off I would go. I did, did uh, training and employment on both coasts of, of Canada uh, and uh, had some really unique opportunities. And when there were no teaching jobs, uh, when I graduated from university, I was able to work full time with, uh, with the Navy and, uh, and, and had some great opportunities. As I said, I, I came from a Naval family. Uh, my dad was... Uh, was in the Naval Reserve, uh, served for 30 years, and my younger sister and brother also served in the Naval Reserve. So at one point, we, my father used to refer to our family as the Fighting Bennets, and uh, that we, we served for over a century of service. And uh, it, it was, it's not unique to the Naval Reserve, because a lot of families continued that pattern. But um, 
to have, have followed in my father's footsteps was a real privilege. Um, through my military career, I, I had some unique opportunities, not just as a trailblazer, uh, opening, opening doors and, or knocking down doors, kicking down a few doors, but I was able to blend my two careers. And, and it's quite funny that in my civilian career as a teacher, I was in a highly female dominated career progression, uh, pro profession rather, mm -hmm. but in the military, um, I was, it was a minority in, uh, in terms of being a, a woman in, in leadership positions. So people often asked if I ever mixed up my, my jobs or, you know, if the jobs helped each other. And, and I said that, uh, the, uh, the kindergarten students liked to march and, and, uh, but the chiefs and POs didn't like to hold hands and form a circle. So I had to be careful. <laughs> Not, Love that. Not, not to mix up those jobs. In fact, at, at uh, one of the schools I was at in Victoria, there were other naval officers there. And the students would often ask if I could order them around um, at school. And uh, I, I outranked a few of them. And so uh, one of my fellow phys ed teachers was also uh, a naval reservist at Malahat. So occasionally I'd yell across the field, call him by his last name and make him snap to attention. And <laughs> the, the kids thought that was great, but it was a unique combination, and I was able to hone leadership skills in in both of my uh, my my careers, and take a lot of the experience from both of them uh, and transfer over. And that's I think that shaped my leadership style the most because I was um, more like a coach and mentor because of my my civilian background. So I. Uh, I I'll stop there and, and see if you have questions, and then I can continue. continue so much, like. There's so much to explore there. You know, I, as I said, I kicked it off saying I've known you and our paths have crossed a number of times over the last, uh, well, I guess three and a half decades. But I've always enjoyed your ability to um, be very conversational with people and really make people feel comfortable in what in, in your description of this chiefs and bo's not wanting to hold hands in a circle it's that type of comment that i remember so much from you your ability to walk into a situation and make everybody feel comfortable and, and want to share it and and that's i always admired that about you tell me this and this is a tough question do you remember the chief's name that pressure you to join the Naval Reserve. Yes, I do. Chief Billy Ross, <laughs> Chief, <laughs> Chief Petty Officer. He, in, in fact, he was quite a character at HMCS Star. And um, just just as a, as a sidebar, we uh, we spent a lot of time sort of hanging out at the local Naval Reserve Division. Um, the, lots of the dads would take the kids down to run around the, the drill deck, the large sort of gym space for those of you who, who don't speak Navy. And uh, it was always a great winter activity or a rainy day activity. And dads would, would load the kids' bikes into the back of the station wagon and we'd all go down. And, and there was a, a gun mount on the drill deck, as many Naval Reserve units had at the time. And uh, we'd all go and, and, uh, and run around. And so often we'd go to have lunch at the chief's mess, which would be a pickled egg or a sausage and a bag of chips, uh, which, which you weren't allowed to tell your mother you'd had lunch in the chief's mess. <laughs> but um, but it was fond memories, and in fact, I thought if I if I was ever going to join the navy, I'd like to be a chief. Uh, little did I know that you couldn't just select your rank and, and join. But I always had a fond affinity, <clears throat> excuse me, for for the chiefs and POs mess. 
and uh, you know some of those chiefs babysat us over the years and uh, probably taught us a few bad habits or salty language but um it was it was a real family atmosphere in in the naval reserve and that's probably why i hadn't thought of it as a career choice because it was it was a, a family uh, atmosphere and when um, my dad was in, in various leadership positions in STAR and, and as the executive officer and the commanding officer, we, we just attended these things. And um, it was a really unique sort of family, family connection. So it wasn't a surprise that uh, Chief Petty Officer Billy Ross, uh, who, who had taken, taken us out, in fact, one of my birthday parties had taken us out on the Plainsville, the tug at, uh, at HMCS STAR. Um, but he called in years later, in fact, when uh, when I took command of HMCS Malahat in Victoria, uh, the chief clerk told me that there was a voicemail message on the, the day of my change of command. And uh, there was a gruff old voice that said, Jennifer, it's Billy Ross. And, uh, you know, he, he sort of gave me a well done. And uh, <laughs> you're both laughing because you can hear the chief's voice. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, it was it was a um, a great a unique relationship. Now it also meant the pressure was on uh, throughout my career because I had had all of these these, uh, these chiefs watching me. But I think Al, to speak to your point, I thank you for for bringing that up because I think that's a great source of pride to me that that I was have always been an approachable leader, and and my dad was as well. Um, I followed in his footsteps, but that's that's something that. Um, the Navy allowed me to be me or, and if they didn't allow me, I was just going to be me anyway. And I, I think at times the, uh, uh, the elementary school teacher in me came out, um, whether it was at the highest levels as an admiral or a member of armed forces council, giving advice to the chief of the defense staff or, or in my, my early days. And, uh, I, uh, I think as well, my experience first as being, as we say in the lower decks, so having experience as a sailor um, gave me a, a bit more credibility and um, an understanding as, as an officer. You know, the, what you have witnessed in the Navy in the 70s and the 80s and um, must give you an amazing perspective on where the Navy is going today because I see really great things over the horizon for the Navy, not only in uh, new ships and new technology and, uh, you know, an evolving workforce and the Navy's ability to adapt to that through culture change and their desire to mentor one another. Good things are happening in that organization and that institution. There's no doubt about it. You approach it having seen the way it was. So you must be so excited to see the direction the Navy is taking right now. And and not just the Navy, but but the Canadian Armed Forces and, and in particular the opportunities for women and mm -hmm. how things have changed. And when I'm when I'm speaking about my career, today's generation of women in in the Navy or or uh, across the, the Canadian Armed Forces think it's so strange they find it so foreign that any doors would be closed or that opportunities wouldn't be available to them and I I think it's uh I I also am humbled that I'm considered a trailblazer and a first because there were many before me the Wrens for example mm -hmm. uh the three women's services it was the wartime service of women 
who stepped up and filled jobs of men that opened the doors for, for me to influence change and for today's generation. One of the, the most unique experiences that I had was helping other nations to integrate women and open doors for women um, and, and assisting uh, across the UN and, and NATO nations to look at the opportunities and, and to expand diversity, not just for women, but to look at diversity and inclusion. And it's, it's funny that those of us who, uh, I, I tell the tales about, about being a first and uh, people always made a big deal about that, about being a first or, or um, and there are some funny, funny stories. In fact, not only was it in the 70s and 80s when there were restrictions, but even when I was promoted to Commodore in, uh, in 2007, um, I couldn't get pieces of kit. Uh, because there had been so few females of that rank. They didn't have women's shoulder boards and they didn't have that, that our bowlers had to be specially made. And of course, every time someone reached a new a new rank or, or a new position, there was always the, oh, oh. Um, I had to laugh because when I when I was promoted to, uh, to Commodore uh, and we, we had to get all the pieces of kit organized, I found the, the person who was responsible for shoulder boards. And um, he, he told me that he was prepping uh, and, sure. and going to make them with, you know, two, two and three maple leaves just in case. So that was really handy when I was, was promoted to Admiral uh, that, that they were ready. But it was funny because I couldn't wear my, my uniform. Uh, I was promoted in, uh, in National Defense Headquarters by the Admiral in a conference room, um, but I couldn't go ashore um, leave the building because I didn't have the right hat. I had one set of slip-ons that that were okay, but it took a took a little while for them to to get us organized. So, you know, even even in some of the considerations when the forces was integrating women, there were all kinds of things that people hadn't thought about that one size doesn't fit all. Um, and I think you know we've come so far that that those funny little the fact I couldn't march in the platoon with men uh, because we, we didn't have trousers. We, we had skirts. Yeah. Um, so I'm really delighted with where we've come now. Are we there yet? Uh, you can ask. And we, what is the critical mass we need to achieve? Still lots of work to do, but the opportunities are limitless now for, for women who choose to, to join the, the military and serve. And, and I think the Navy has been, been very progressive. It took us a long time to uh, consider integration uh, on ships. There were funny stories there as well about about mixed gender units. Yeah. And and uh, I was a CO at the time uh, and met with other COs who were having a panic about what to do about uh, things like dress for going ashore and and what to wear for sports and what to do about about heads or bathrooms for for in civilian speak. And the simplest things became, people were just sort of gender perplexed. And, and I would say to the COs, what's your rule at home? You live in a mixed gender unit at home. Do you have rules <laughs> about wearing a house coat to and from the bathroom or closing the door or, you know, use those rules. And because women before they've joined the Navy have lived in a mixed gender world. Um, but again, I think we, it, it took, a huge cultural and generational shift to get to where we we were 
I, I had a, another unique opportunity to be the champion for women in defense uh, and to be able to bring forward issues and concerns um, and, and, uh, and see a, a great amount of change there. So yeah, tremendous. But I, I have that, my experience to thank for standing on the shoulders of those who went before me. Right. Yeah, uh, 100%. And I, I remember being on destroyers when they became uh, mixed gender units and, and, and going through all that. And it, it was, uh, it seemed in the moment challenging and complicated, but then it just seemed to disappear. It was like, this is, yeah. you know, this was just common sense all along, as you, as you so rightly point out. Well, I think if you don't make a big deal about it, it isn't yeah. a big deal. Right. And, uh, and, and I think people look for the worst case scenario mm-hmm. in that. Um, it, it was also kind of funny in my career, as I say, being a first where people always wanted to focus on that. And it, it put increased pressure mm-hmm. on on anyone who was a first. And that's that's not just for women, but the first of anything. So the first to wear a hijab, the first black person, the first visible minority, any mm-hmm. of that. And it it takes away from the people's experience and and i used to say that career boards didn't involve uh, involve chromosomes as a selection criteria um and when i'm i'm speaking about the difference in career paths between military and civilian careers i think the military has a, a much better system because you're evaluated on a level playing field against criteria that are set and understood and while it's difficult, other people make decisions. Mm-hmm. In, in civilian careers, we limit ourselves. You, you sort of open the classified and you look at jobs and say, oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. But if someone else said to you, hey, Al, you'd be great for this job, and they right. gave you a little push, yeah. you, you'd be um, more willing to, to do that. And the fact that in, in the military, we change jobs every three years or you kind of got pushed into positions, in my case, as I rose through the ranks, um, and, and especially as, as a Commodore and, and as an Admiral, the institutional leadership jobs were really hard, very difficult. And I probably wouldn't have put my hand up for, for some of them. But because someone else decided I was ready and had the experience, you were given that opportunity. And I think that's been great for career progression and and to push people outside their comfort zone. Uh, you Jennifer, know, uh, sorry, Alan, I just want to jump in there. Jennifer, you know, being a trailblazer like you have been, there must have been times where you've had to have some conversations with some of the uh, old boys club that uh, do you remember any kind of education that you had to give to to some of these people and are anything anything that comes to mind? Thanks for that question, Jerry. It wasn't just educating the the old white guys. Um, also had to sit down with women um, and, yeah. uh, you know, and ha- have those divisional officer chats um, because uh, of, of women being integrated. And, and uh, those were interesting. I, I've, I, uh, off- when I hear back from people about when I was a lieutenant or a lieutenant commander and, and their, their divisional officer, uh, the fireside chats I had um, and, and the advice I gave them. Uh, those were interesting times, but yes, I, I did um, not as much advice, but apply common sense. And um, 
I did a lot of that in uh, in my time at being at the table as a leader and um, reminding people about the a wider perspective and um, not squaring people off, but but just bringing a different perspective to to the table and. A lot of that in the early days because it was a very male-dominated organization. But um, I think there was as much advice given to men as there was to women. That's fascinating, Alan. When you think about it, you know, I guess some women accepted the role they were in. So it seems I love your response because it's not only men that need sometimes that little push. Some of the women that are complicit in in those types of old school relationship type uh, environments, I guess. Oh, it's a fascinating answer. Um, you know, uh, Admiral, we we've uh, Jerry and I have had the privilege of speaking to a lot of people that uh, are currently serving. Um, indeed, we did a, uh, a full podcast on board one of, uh, one of the frigates just recently. And uh, it was amazing how many of those people had come through the cadet program and how highly they spoke of the cadet program. In many of them, it was foundational to not only their military career, but who they were as, as a person. And I know that you had the privilege of leading that organization and the reserve couple together. Tell us a little bit about what that meant to you, because that had to be quite an honor. Thanks for that um, question. I, yeah, another interesting uh, sort of early day was that um, I, I was not a product of the Sea Cadet program. You would have thought that with my dad uh, in the Navy, we, we would have been steered towards the cadet program, but um, that was another program that didn't have girls uh, until until 1975, which was the same year that I, I joined the Naval Reserve. So I didn't have firsthand knowledge. Uh, they, they had Renettes, but it was a sort of a girl's version of, of cadets. Um, I had had a couple of opportunities to be involved with cadets and to influence that program. And I, I really took it to heart with my teaching background and my teaching career. As a commanding officer uh, of, of a Naval Reserve Division, we supported Navy League Cadet Corps and, and Sea Cadet Corps and uh, did training for the officers. And uh, that was, was a, a great opportunity. I was a very popular um, guest for annual cadet reviews and, and presentations being a, a female leader. As, uh, as the director of reserves, when I was a captain, I was the branch advisor for the adult leaders of the cadet program and was able to influence that. And then as the chief of reserves and cadets, one of my positions as, uh, as an admiral in National Defense Headquarters, I was responsible for the two youth programs, the Junior Canadian Rangers and the, the cadet programs with Sea Cadets, Air Cadets and uh, Army Cadets. That is an incredible program. Uh, the cadets that I met and the Junior Canadian Rangers, incredible Canadian citizens. They are setting themselves apart from, from their peers. I was, I was at one of the Army Cadet camps, uh, Rocky Mountain, camp out in Alberta and uh, there was a, a cadet sergeant who was the photographer and as she was swearing me around and I'm touring and I'm I'm doing all these things I, I should have been much younger to be doing as I'm rappelling and and uh, rock climbing and kayaking 
And I, I asked her if she'd been at Rocky Mountain this summer before. And she said, no, last year I was climbing Mount Everest. And I sort of looked at her and said, really? And she said, well, not the whole thing. You know, we only went to base camp. And <laughs> I thought, wow, she's 15 and I'm feeling inadequate. And, and I said, wow, I commanded a formation in the Navy and I'm an admiral. But I said, your life sounds way more exciting. Um <laughs> And, and no matter where I went and the interaction that I, that I had with cadets, it, it was incredible. And I, I'm really pleased now that, that uh, in retirement, I'm still involved with the program through the Navy League of Canada. And uh, so I have an opportunity to see the benefits and to be able to play a role on the other side of the partnership that uh, DND and the Canadian Armed Forces have with the leagues in supporting the programs, but it is has an amazing impact. It's, it's a free program. I have um, seen the benefits of the program firsthand, whether they were in Sea Cadets, Army Cadets, Air Cadets, or in the Junior Canadian Ranger programs. Incredible opportunities. And um, there are hundreds of thousands of Canadians who've had the benefit of that program and who attribute their success to the foundations they learned in in that program. So well put, so well put for sure, which is a great conduit now into what are you doing in the moment? Because I've, as I said, we've interacted many times. I think one of the last times we interacted, I was uh, commanding the recruit school. You had come through either as a Commodore or an Admiral to inspect a recruit platoon. I remember turning my back at one point and you were gone in another direction. And I turned to the artist and said, where is she gone? What's going on? So I know that you have a lot of energy and you like to keep moving. So what, what are you doing in the moment? Well, I should, should probably start off with um, where, where I was after I, after I saw you, because uh, it, it then leads into, into what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. I, um, I had the, the privilege of uh, serving in two of the most important and I would say special roles uh, as a reserve officer. One was to command the Naval Reserve as a, as a Commodore. And it's also unique because that's the job that my father had when I joined the Naval Reserve. And so to have achieved that that position was really special to me. In fact, the day of my change of command um, incoming as as the commander of the Naval Reserve, we broke my dad's pennant. Um, unfortunately, my dad was, was no longer with us. He'd passed away the year before, but um, a real special family connection. And I thought at, at that point that um, that would sort of be the pinnacle of my career. And, and often people retired out of, out of that job. I was uh, was very fortunate uh, to have served in that role between 2007 and and January of 2011. And in 2011, I was was promoted and appointed as the Chief of Reserves and Cadets for Canada. And that's the senior reserve position in the entire reserve force. And you serve as an advisor to the uh, the Chief of the Defence Staff and the Minister. Um, you you have responsibility for reserve policies and programs, employer support, and the youth programs. Again, I thought after that job, my career would uh, in the military would would finish, and uh, I was doing both of these jobs concurrently while teaching, and and also I I was a 
um, in administration positions. Um, I did did that position until till 2018, so 2011 to 2018 uh, in uh, in National Defence Headquarters, um, and thought I would would retire at that point. But I was extended um, beyond retirement age and given probably two jobs. Again, I go back to the philosophy of I wouldn't have chosen them. I had two of the hardest jobs of of my career. Um, the first one as leading the uh, Canadian Armed Forces Strategic Response Team on Sexual Misconduct and starting Operation Honor. Uh, I had a second uh, extension. Uh, sorry, correction. I was was Chief of Reserves and Cadets 2011 to 2015, and then then uh, uh, took the job with the um, Strategic Response Team on Sexual Misconduct. In 2018, I was planning for retirement and uh, and I was extended uh, an additional year to lead the implementation of the LGBT purge class action settlement for uh, members of the of the Canadian Armed Forces who had been impacted by that. So I had two really, really hard jobs between 2015 and 2019. So in retirement, I was was looking forward to changing pace and traveling the world. Who could have predicted a pandemic? <laughs> so less than 90 days into my retirement, I retired in December of 2019. Great plans to see the world and put my feet up. Um, and life changed. So so during that time, I think it, it also allowed all of us to do some soul searching. I I had been offered some consulting work. I thought I might I might work again after a break. So my, my plans changed quite a bit um, as a result of, of the pandemic. I, um, I, I didn't last very long in retirement before the phone started ringing from various organizations who'd been lying in wait, um, who tried to get me after they thought I was going to retire. I had had three false starts for that. Um, so phones started ringing either from organizations that my dad had been part of or that I had been associated with. And uh and so I, I have taken on a lot of volunteer work, a lot of board work. And um, as you said, uh, as you mentioned, I'm an active person, but as a class A overachiever, I keep getting more loaded onto my plate, um, probably more than I'd like to be doing in retirement. Um, but I've also had some, some really unique opportunities. I'm serving as a patron uh, on uh, the board for the Juno Beach Center. I'm serving on the National Board of the Navy League of Canada and working uh, as the division president for the province of Ontario with the, the cadet programs. I'm uh, working with uh, on the board of the University Naval Training Division Association, um, working on, on morphing that organization to better represent Naval Reserve officers, all officer programs. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to 2023, which is the centennial of the Naval Reserve right. and all of the events there. I, uh, I do some speaking. Um, of course, I've, I've had to change that style to, uh, to do this uh, mm -hmm. electronically. It was, was kind of intimidating the first few times, but uh, I'm still sharing, sharing my story and taking advantage of, of opportunities to mentor and to coach, to develop others. But uh, but I'm a little busier than than I'd like to be. I'd like to uh, uh, have have a little more time for uh, some of my my personal pursuits. But I'm keeping busy, and I think that's probably better uh, mm -hmm. than uh, 
uh, I would be would be bored. But I think the the pandemic for all of us gave us pause for reflection, and and I'm still trying to decide what I'm going to be when I grow up. Right. Well, yeah. I, so I, I want to pick up on one thing. So, okay, so you, we've indicated one failure in your career, and that's retirement. So you're not good at retirement. We understand that. But you'll be amazed at how many of our guests uh, talk the same thing. And, and I think it's because we we don't look at retirement in the same fashion as most other people. We stay engaged very much. So I, I want to pick up on one thing. I mean, you started off talking about, you know, you it was a summer job and that was it. Did you reflect on that when you walked in as the chief of reserve in cadets, that first meeting when they needed your advice? And did you think before you opened the door that this is a summer job at one point and now look at it? I, I did. I did. With every promotion, every promotion, I'd walk by the mirror and go. <laughs> and I, uh, I was asked, um, on, on one of the times I was retiring, um, we we had twice a year, all of the, the general and flag officers of the Canadian Armed Forces got together for a symposium. And the the chief of the defense staff would would say farewell and sort of honor those who were retiring. And um, and so he asked asked us each to speak and sort of sum up our career in, a, in one sentence. And my response to that was best summer job ever. <laughs> um, and because it was, and and I yeah. think, with each, each opportunity, um, and that's that's some of the advice that I give people is to not sell yourself short. And when, uh, as as a, as a non commissioned member and a communicator, when my career path was limited, I opened a different door to become an officer. As a logistics officer, when I didn't want to just be doing the books or. Uh, counting the pop bottles uh, in the canteen, I, I found other avenues. And it was interesting that in, in reflecting back, I probably wouldn't have chosen a lot of, of what I was, was tasked to do. But with each challenge, I also got greater confidence to see that, that I, could, I could step up. I really wanted to be, eventually as an officer, I, I really thought about commanding uh, a Naval Reserve Division, and and I had the pleasure of of commanding at um, at three different levels. I I like you commanded the recruit school in Borden, um, yeah. and uh, uh, commanded the formation of the Naval Reserve. But each time, yes, I laughed, and I I sat at the at the table at Armed Forces Council, um, the highest governing body in the Canadian Armed Forces, and I'd shake my head. You know when when the the generals and admirals would turn to me and ask what I thought. And I told them, uh, oftentimes in no uncertain terms, I did have a few chief of defense staffs laugh and smile because I was one of the few people who would speak my mind. Mm -hmm. um, they couldn't fire me, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, as a, as a reservist. But um, yes, I, I did. I, I And I still do. I look back. Uh, I still look back at it. And, and think, wow, oh, for to go from ordinary Wren to rear admiral in an organization to have had that opportunity is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. um, that that the uh, that that they let me lead in that, um, but it, at the same time it was also a privilege, mm -hmm. and um, and I don't think I ever overlooked that. Um, it was it was really hard to 
sometimes to face those challenges, but I knew that I had been prepared and it was my opportunity to give back to an institution that had been incredibly good to me. A tremendous uh, and a tremendous impact you've made on the Canadian Armed Forces and the Navy and, and really specifically the Naval Reserve. But, but you did all of this while balancing your own professional journey. This was just part of you. You had another career as well. And mm -hmm. as you walked into the room, and I would argue that many of the people around the tables that you sat at had a career. That, that was it. But you were in there. This is, uh, I don't want to say a part-time gig or a side hustle. This was a very important thing. But it was just part of you. you the, the lens at which you look at situations must have been so different from everybody else. And I think that was, that was both interesting, but it was also welcomed. Mm -hmm. um, an example of that, when, when the Canadian Armed Forces was switching our fitness testing from what we had done before to the new force test and going through the, the requirements and the science behind it. And there were kinesiologists briefing and, and folks uh, talking about, about all of this. I would ask, I, I would challenge them with questions. And I, I used to sit, I sat beside the army commander at, at Armed Forces Council. And um, my boss was the, was the vice chief of the defense staff and the commander of the Navy was there, commander of the Air Force. And as I was asking these questions, they were all sort of looking at me and looking to see if I had notes because the staff would always write your notes. They would tell you what to say. They'd script you at these meetings so that you, you didn't go off script. But I was asking these questions and, and afterwards, one of them sort of said, wow, that was really interesting. You know, where you must have done a lot of research. And I said, well, that's what I do in my civilian life. I, I went through kinesiology and, and physical education. They kind of looked and it was sort of surprising with that. And I remember giving my resume to my, my civilian resume, as opposed to my bio to Admiral McFadden, when he was the, um, the commander of the, of the Royal Canadian Navy, because I was aspiring to, to a, a job um, other than the chief of reserves and cadets, there was an opportunity with the Canadian Defense Academy, which is the equivalent of the Ministry of Education for the Canadian Armed Forces. I had worked with the organization prior and had been the director of professional development. But I, I said, I'd really like to be the commander of the Canadian Defense Academy. And, um, and he looked at my resume and he, he kind of, he said, wow. And he said, well, first off in typical Canadian Armed Forces fashion, we'd never give you the job because you've actually worked in education. Um, you know, we'd rather put a, a pilot or an engineer or someone in there. And he's, but he, he it was sort of the first time that it hit him. Um, what what we bring to the table as reservists and that's not unique to me I, I think uh the canadian armed forces is learning the value of that and whether it's from what your civilian career was or the languages you grew up speaking at home uh the culture what we bring from our community is is really unique and i i take great pride in the fact that i did my entire career as a reservist yeah. and most of it part-time as a as an after supper sailor um and uh and that that is unique and um that i i was given that opportunity and and allowed to balance both by my civilian employers and and in the military 
A fantastic, you know, uh, Admiral. We always uh, we always ask our guests to leave the audience with a piece of advice. You've had a, as I said before, a tremendous journey. Um, have have touched so many people. Have impacted uh, the very fabric of this country in, in everything that you've done in the last number of years. And what would that piece of advice be? It's hard to narrow it down to one. So if you if you will, will indulge me, I'll give you sort of some snapshots of 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 how I advise people. Um, the first is I, I'm going to use a Stephen Covey quote that it that is a good one that resonates that says, "I'm not a product of my circumstances. I'm a product of my decisions." And I think the decisions that each of us make, and in my case, in that summer, to have decided to join the Naval Reserve, that that was an incredible decision and a, and a life changer. I think the other is to don't sell yourself short and underestimate yourself in anything that you do. I, I speak about silent mentoring and the power that people have just by being who they are. And I think your success isn't only contingent on what you, what you achieve and it's not what you're known as, it's what you're known for. Mm-hmm. And, and you have an opportunity to always be mentoring and advising and guiding and leading people just by who you are. And I I probably should have paid more attention to that in my early days, but that that always sort of stuck in the back of my mind that that you are influencing people and you you can. Um, I think it's really important as well, uh, again, to be yourself. Uh, there's a great quote from Oscar Wilde that says, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. <laughs> and and to be true to yourself that will help you in times of stress when you have to sort of default to to who you are um and 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 what you are and um as a leader that's particularly important because then you're consistent and people know and understand and trust you so as a as a woman i advise that women don't have to lead like a man you don't have to change your style you can you can lead like a woman and still be successful in a male dominated organization if you're true to yourself so to go back to my don't sell yourself short don't don't limit yourself look at the opportunities get some advice take the chances and when opportunity doesn't knock and there isn't a door then make your own opportunity 100% Jerry, your thoughts? <laughs> You're smiling, Alan. Alan yeah. told me, Jennifer, that be prepared. Uh, there's going to be some inspiration here. Holy Moses, yes. Uh, first of all, I reflect on the foundation of my career being in the Navy. Yes, I, I did only spend nine years there, but your conversation really brought me back to how important the Navy has been to the foundation of my career. In fact, I met my wife in the Navy. That's a whole other story that we'll tell at some other time. But, uh, you know, just a couple of things. I like to take notes. Um, approachable leader, you said. The Navy allowed you to be you. Uh, and you kind of reiterated that in your advice. Uh, isn't that just wonderful, being able to do that? You're a coach. You're a mentor. Uh, challenge brought confidence. All these things are so interesting to hear. And uh, I tell you, the other thing that I found fascinating, despite the fact I spent almost 10 years in the Navy, the whole busing and sailing piece with the Wrens, 
did not know that. So I'm sure many of our followers who we hear from many of them, Alan, that have been in the Navy, that may be the first they ever heard of that themselves. So uh, thank you for giving us a little history lesson, but also just being courageous to be you. Thank you for joining us. It was a, it was a real pleasure. Thank, thank you. And thanks for being interested in, in my story. As I say, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's very humbling. When, when people ask where I started and, and uh, I know you're summing up, but with your indulgence, I, I, I will say that one of the most important pieces of advice as well about, about not only being yourself and, and creating opportunities is don't just get to the table and get a seat at the table, speak at the table and use that opportunity. And, and Al, I'm reflecting back on, on the time at recruit school and, one of the things I often got asked as a reviewing officer was, what do you ask them on parade? You know, what are you talking about with them? And, uh, and I did speak to all of them and I annoyed coxswains who wanted me to speed along or parade commanders. But um, I used to use that example about when someone asks you at the recruit school, how was the food or how was the program? Tell them, give them an honest answer because that's the only way you can influence change. And so for people who achieve leadership positions and get a seat at the table, don't just sit at the table, use that opportunity and speak and, and influence change. And I think being bold that way and, and at some point, because I was allowed to be me, while that may have been a shock to the system and sometimes that also allowed me to have a voice and to use that voice. And I'm really pleased that it's influencing others to, to do that now. But uh, thank you very much for, for having me join the illustrious group uh, of the podcast and, and for what you're doing to deliver these wonderful messages. Well, another wonderful edition of Gale Force Winds and what a privilege it has been to be in conversation with Admiral Jennifer Bennett uh, to look at the institution that is the Canadian Navy, the Canadian Armed Forces, through her lens today has been uh, eye-opening. And the fact that uh, women in this particular case that are now uh, in the armed forces, in the Navy, and they couldn't even fathom the circumstances, that's a good thing. That shows that we are on the right path because they couldn't even fathom not being in the same platoon, and nor should they. Um, so you were a big part of the, of bringing the institution where it is today. And the one thing that jumps out at me the most, and, and I've always said this about you, and I probably said it to your face a number of times, but it's, you're very genuine, and people respond to that. When you speak to Admiral Jennifer Bennett, you get Admiral Jennifer Bennett. That's it. There's nothing hidden about it. That's the way it is. And you speak your mind and people appreciate it and you have a lot to add to the conversation. I can't imagine what it must have been like to walk through those doors of the upper echelons of the institution that is the Canadian Armed Forces, having started off as a summer job. I'm sure glad that Chief persisted to get you to join. Uh, there's so many people like that Chief out there that do their bit and have no idea what of an impact their conversation is going to have on the organization moving forward. And he did a great job. I'm so glad that you were part of it. I'm so glad that we were able to cross paths so much over the years. And I, too, like to leave the audience with my own piece of advice. And quite frankly, the world needs more Jennifer Bennett. So thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in to Gale Force Winds. That's Gale Force Winds, W-I-N-S dot com.